Well, good morning. It's good to be back. I got to watch the service last week online, and I love the blue tarp. Thank you so much, Junior Warden. I actually do want to thank Ken publicly because we have had a little bit of trouble with our roof repair, our roof reconstruction, and uh, we did have a little bit of leakage over the weekend for the third week in a row. But God is greater. Amen? Amen. But I'm glad the tarps are gone this week, so I don't think I could preach to a blue tarp. God bless James Manley. So, well, greetings to you from um, the church that I was visiting and guest preaching in over in Tallahassee. Um, It goes by the name Holy Cross, so greetings to you. Reminding me a little bit of the infancy of Servants of Christ. They still meet in a rented space that is much smaller than this. And, uh, and they'd let popcorn announcements give up, which reminded me of the old days when people could go, oh, Alex, I need to tell people this. And remember how I used to say, we're not going to do that anymore? Well, they're still at that stage. And the rector uh, has a wife and three little kids. Does that sound familiar? So it kind of took me down memory lane. He, uh, Daniel is his name. He's on sabbatical. And so our friend Chris Jones, who we, we saw get ordained a while, had asked me to come and relief pitch for him. And so I was glad to do it, and we're blessed to have uh, capable preachers to preach in my absence. So, so thankful for James and the word he bought. I was so grateful that I was there last week and not this week, because I, I recognized, because I'd looked at the lectionary ahead, it breaks up the story of John the Baptist coming here in chapter 3 into two parts. And James preached last week the first part, which is the setup the, the John, James that John comes preaching a, a, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And he did a marvelous job. If you didn't get to hear that sermon, go on Facebook Live. It's worth going back and hearing. And I love how James got to the very personal application in his own life. So thanks to James for that. I know he's someplace. I just don't see him. There he is. There he is on the right. Um, but I thought to myself, boy, I'm so glad that I'll be back home with my own people because I would not like to want to bring down the heavy repentance wailing and tears that this week's passage brings, unlike last week's. Last week was the setup, but this week, John really gets at it, doesn't he? Brood of vipers, you snakes trying to escape from the fire. And I told David, I said, boy, I'm going to really bring it. I'm going to have you guys crying this week in the sermon, because John really brings the conviction of the Holy Spirit down upon the people, doesn't he? And I thought, man, I'm so glad because I can't be that mean to, to strangers, but I can sure be that mean to our own folks. So here we go, right? Well, just, you know, I, as I began to study the scripture this week in anticipation of that, and a little bit of that's tongue-in-cheek, of course, but I, 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 I recognize that this is a, a really hard passage. It, it leaves us in a very um, tumultuous place. I mean, who is it that that John's talking to? I mean, is he preaching to us? Are we the brood of vipers? Or is he talking to those people out there? I mean, after all, if you read the scripture, it says that John is preaching to the crowds. Therefore, the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. Is it would-be disciples? Is it just others out there? I was with Jody at her Christmas party on Thursday night, and I thought, are these the brood of vipers? I mean, there was a lot of debauchery going on. No, I mean, you, many of you have been to office Christmas parties, so you know to what I speak. 
But I thought, is, is this the brood of vipers? Is this, is this the message that we're to give? Well, um, I think that we're intended to be a little bit in tension here. Is John referring to us? Is John referring to the crowds? Is he talking to the religious leaders as the Matthew version of this passage directs us that he's talking to the scribes and Pharisees? To whom is John speaking? Well, first of all, I want to just leave you with that tension for a moment and, and, and think with you through this passage a little bit. And it does relate to our other scriptures uh, at, at a few places. First of all, I think we have to recognize that John is speaking under the power of the Holy Spirit. It, it is not enough simply to stand up someplace and begin to call people out on their stuff, to, to, to just tell them off, you know. I, I said the early service, haven't you ever seen somebody get told off in public and you were like, yes, I'm so glad. And they looked at me horrified, so I decided not to just throw that out to you guys because maybe I'm the only one who's taken pleasure in seeing somebody get called out publicly. But there's, there's something about that that is... That is that is sort of like, yes, you know, there, there's, there's something going on. But it's not simply about calling people out. It's not something about trying to, to bring conviction with how forceful our, and how loud we get and how condemning we are and how accurate we are to the sins of people's lives. As a matter of fact, we probably are living in a time now where people are callous to the church, callous to the gospel, because they, all they've heard is condemnation, Right? They've heard, you sinners, you terrible people, and people have grown callous to that and are, in fact, are unwilling even to step into the doors of a church for fear that's the very message they will hear. I'm sorry if you've come this morning, and this is our scripture, because you probably think, oh no, I've come the wrong day, here we go, we're in the middle of it. But John is filled with the Holy Spirit. I have to believe that John's words to the crowd is received and they say what should we do because they realize that John is speaking the word of God that there's a power with which he speaks there's a conviction of the Holy Spirit the scripture confirms that throughout right that that there has to be this 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 move of the spirit in our lives unless the Lord draws us unless the Lord convicts us he touches our hearts that we're not even capable of repenting it is always a work of the Holy Spirit we know that John is, is conceived in the power of the Holy Spirit. His mother, Elizabeth, remember, is, is pregnant with John, and her cousin Mary comes to visit her, and Mary is expecting the baby Jesus, and the, the baby John leaps within the womb of his mother. If ever there was a pro-life verse, right there it is, right? The baby within the womb crying out to the Spirit of God that she senses in, in Mary and carrying the babe, the Christ child in, within her. And so there's this, this sense, Zechariah, his father, John's father, is also filled with the Holy Spirit. And so we know that, that the whole of John the Baptist's life is, is, is spirit-filled. He is, he is led by the Spirit, and that must be accompanying what he is saying because it has such a dramatic effect on the lives of the people. What should we do? I don't know about you, but oftentimes, and I'm not a prophet, I don't claim to be a prophet nor the son of a prophet. But if I was to say to some of you or to some of them, you know, hey, you know, here's blah, 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 blah. I know how we responded. 
you'd throw something at me or tell me off or rightfully tell me all the bad things about my life and why I have no right. Who are you to judge me? And you've been there, right? You've heard it before. And yet the response from the crowd is so very different, isn't it? Well, it's because John is led by the power of the Holy Spirit. He speaks to this, to the, he speaks to this group of people in such a way in the power of the Spirit that they're, in fact, led to cry out in repentance. We want to change. We want to change our hearts and our minds. We want to live differently. What should we do? What, what's going on here? I think it's important to recognize the humility of John as he gives the message. John says that he, who is the high prophet, the, the prophet of the most high God, he says, even I am unworthy to even untie the sandals of the Christ child. Why is it that they are thinking perhaps that, that John is the Christ? Well, because the, the, the prophecies about the Messiah were such that, in, for instance, Isaiah 61, that when he comes, he will bring good news to the poor. As a matter of fact, that's what Mary proclaims in that Magnificat, that he will, he will raise the poor, he will bring hope to the poor. Well, the things that John calls the, 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 the soldiers and the tax collectors and the people in general to do, these are all things that would be good news for the poor. What does he say? He says, if you have two tunics, share with the one that doesn't have any tunics. You got two copies of Minecraft or spacecraft. You're supposed to give me one, Noah, not just keep both of them for yourself. He says to the tax collectors, if you, the don't don't take don't take unfairly more than you deserve. Tax collecting was a franchise business in the first century. The Romans said, "This is how much tax we want." Ken Campbell, you, you are now a representative of the Roman, Roman Empire. You were to collect the Roman tax, and you can collect tax above that amount to cover your own expenses and to make sure that you, are, you have means for your livelihood. But the problem is people like Ken would take exorbitant amounts of additional tax, grow rich on the taxes of the people. Just kidding, Ken. And as a result... They were hated, of course, and they were extorting money. They were taking money. They were cheating people, unfairly taxing them. The soldiers, they were as well doing the same thing. You know, soldiers always have a tendency to, to pillage, right? Uh, when my neighbors in, in Ambridge, Pennsylvania would talk about all the wonderful goods they came home with from German storehouses and factories after they occupied Germany in World War II, it's always that, that tendency of soldiers. Soldiers, you're to be content with what you make. You're not to, to unfairly harm people, either threatening harm or, or threatening to, to, you know, to lie about them in order to get what you want. When you think about it, those are all things that, that our kindergarten teachers tried to instill in us. Right? I mean, on a basic level, share Right? Don't steal other people's stuff and don't harm other people with your mouth or with your fists. I still remember sitting in the principal's office in first grade for fighting. My mother was not happy. 
And in some ways, those same lessons get magnified and, and intensified and more complicated, but in some level, they're, they're very much the same kinds of things. Not meant to be an exhaustive list, but they're represented in the, the Ten Commandments you heard, you heard read earlier. There's some of those that definitely bearing false witness, right? Stealing. There's a, there's a, there's a response of the people to what they hear. They, they're, they're moved to say, what should we do? And John is quick to pull it out. So they begin to think that perhaps that he is the Messiah because he's bringing good news to the poor. And John makes it very clear. He says, I am not worthy to untie the Messiah's sandals. Now what you need to know, the backstory of that is that, that the rabbis said that a, a, a disciple, a, a student of a teacher, a rabbi, should do the same works of a servant to honor their teacher. So if you, you know, doing all the, the, the things that a servant would do for them, those things the teacher should be done unto. But they drew the line with tying or untying sandals. Because they said that was too humiliating, that no student should be asked to tie or untie the sandals of their professor. It was just beneath anyone. And yet, what does John say? says, I am not worthy to untie the Messiah's sandals. There's a humility, and I would suggest a grace in what John is saying. He's not this high and mighty preacher speaking down to people, bringing conviction upon them, telling them what rotten sinners they are. John is a fellow recipient of grace and mercy, a humble man before them. calls them to demonstrate their love for God, their repentance, their desire to change their hearts and minds, to begin to act differently. He says, do that by loving people. And here we come back to the summary of the law that we didn't read this morning, but it's always there, isn't it? To love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. We want to separate those two, and yet God constantly brings them together. To love God is to love people, but that is so hard to do. By sharing, by not cheating, by not harming other people, we demonstrate our repentance, our desire to live differently. But how do we do that? How do we begin to love people? It, it, it feels impossible. It, it, there's some people that's easy enough to love because they're, they're lovely people. Many of you are lovely people. But there are lots of unlovely people, and that becomes a much harder task to love them. It, it's, it's, it's frustrating to, to come back around. And the reason why we have laws is because we have to be forced to be good to each other and, and, and told that if we... If we don't do these things, that we'll, we'll, be, we'll be punished for them by law. But, but it doesn't really get to the heart issue. And yet, what John seems to be addressing is something much deeper, something much more powerful as he speaks in the power of the Holy Spirit. And what does John say to the, what does he say to the crowds? He says, the one who's coming is so much greater than me. 
He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And may I suggest to you that what John is saying in that, those couple of verses is that, that what God is calling us to and this repentance that we know in ourselves we need in our lives, as James said last week, we're really good at confessing our sin. We're not really good at changing our lives. What we need is for God to do something in us. John says that is the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. That is, that is God is going to put his spirit within us and he is going to purify us as with fire so that we might become those changed people. My friend Mark Eldridge used to pastor a church in Jacksonville. I was talking with Mark this week and um, Mark and I were talking and Mark used to work with a lot of folks who were recovering addicts in his congregation, west side of Jacksonville, very poor area. And Mark said that, that he, he came up with this phrase. He said, he said that, the, that, that a lot of folks come into his, and it would come into his church and their attitude and their mindset would be, I can't do that thing anymore, but I really want to. I really, really want to. And Mark said that, that what, what he realized with the, the change that he was praying for in people's lives was to go from that phrase, I can't do it, but I want to, to the place where they get to be, I can, but I don't want to. Do you see the shift? I love that. I love the simplicity of that. Mark's his way of sort of putting things really plainly and simply sometimes. Do you, but, but for that to happen, to go from I can't, because it messes up my life, it messes up my relationship with God, it messes up my relationship with my family, but I want to, whatever that is, that sin, whatever that is for you, to go into the place of saying, I can, I've been forgiven, I've been set free, Christ died for my sins, his grace has been imparted to me, but I don't want to. Well, what What requires us to make that shift? Well, it's only the Spirit of God. It is only by the work of God. You see, I can can be good to a lot of people. I can obey laws because it benefits me. But to, to really come to that place to not just fear reproach, but to love virtue, well, that's something that only God can give us. Do you know that the writers of the New Testament, searching for a way to understand this love of God that we experience, couldn't find a word adequate. In the Greek language, there was no word for a gift love, a love that was unearned, undeserved, given freely. And so they began to use a word. They created a word. And the word is called agape. It's a different word for love than other words the Greek language has. Agape love is that gift love, that unearned, undeserved, unmerited love that only God can give. And the, just for instance, in First chapter, uh, John chapter 4, that word agape appears 29 times. John just keeps using it over and over again. For this is agape, not that we love God, but that God agapes us and sent his son to die for our sins. 
You see, to go from I can't but I want to to I can but I don't want to requires our hearts and minds to be captured with the agape love of God. You say, I don't know how to love people. I don't know how to forgive them. I don't know how to share and not take advantage and not threaten harm if you don't do what I want in whatever way that looks like for you and for me. It's because we haven't yet fully embraced the agape love of God. We learn to love, we are empowered to love one another as Christ loved us as we fall more deeply, deeply, profoundly in love with the God who agaped us. You see, I think that's why Advent 3 and John the Baptist are so frustrating. Who is he talking to? Is it the crowds or is it me? Who's the vipers? Who are the ones that need to repent? Well, it's all of us. And yet, for some of us, we've, we've been baptized by the Holy Spirit. We've, we've begun that purification, but it must continue on. And where we come up against the lack of love for others, and we find ourselves still in the place of I can't, but I want to, we do the very thing that Paul tells the Philippians to do. We dwell on those things which are lovely and beautiful, and worthy and praiseworthy. And what are those things? Well, it's the Lord himself. The agape giving God who stretched out his arms upon the cross, Calvary, to die for our sins, to die in our place, to say, this is what love looks like. But I don't simply want you to understand that love. I want you to begin to live out of that love. This is what John's message of repentance is moving towards, but it is incomplete. The reason we're frustrated with John is because he's only setting up his cousin Jesus. And once we come to that place of saying, I don't want to live my life like this anymore. And I'm under the conviction of God that that he's going to hold me accountable for not living as I should. At that moment, we're ready to embrace the gospel, the message of the incarnation. You see, it's all meant to get us to a place of readiness, of preparation. And that's the very place we're supposed to be in Advent, right? So this morning, as you hear, hopefully you're here with hearts saying, with the crowd, what do I need to do? Let the Holy Spirit direct your thought. And then call on the Spirit to empower you and to purify you, to help you move from, I can't do that anymore, but I want to, to I don't, I can, but I don't want to. That's why I think John finishes the chapter, a fourth chapter of the epistle by saying, 
We don't have to worry about the judgment of God. His second return, his second coming, should not cause us to be fearful of his wrath. Because we who have experienced his love, well, that love casts out fear. But we have to know that love. We have to understand and to come to terms with the agape love of Christ. Unmerited, undeserved, gift love. And as we learn to love God for who, how he has loved us, he will begin to transform us into people who love others as we love ourselves. Will you pray with me? Father, the world is already celebrating Christmas, but they don't even know what they're celebrating. And here we are, Lord, trying to be prepared and wait upon you for the celebration of Christ's entry into the world. Lord, prepare our hearts. By the power of your Holy Spirit, will you convict us? Show us, Lord, the places that you were calling us to change. And then, Lord, we pray that you would help us to fall upon your grace and the power of your Spirit to begin to do the things you call us to do. Lord, we want to be people who act virtuously because we love you and because we understand the great love you've had for us. Prepare our hearts, Lord, as we walk through Advent In Christ's name we pray, amen.